So, Lord, we call upon you today to meet us. We are here waiting for you. We're in your presence today, and we're seeking you. So I pray that you would honor that. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you sit down, two things. I want you to greet some people, but before you do that, if you didn't get one of the folders that goes along with the greatest story study, has the Bible schedule, has a diagram in there, has some places to take notes. There's some of those folders uh, back at the Welcome Center, so give you permission during the greeting time to go back and get one if you don't have one. Oh, that's awesome. Awesome. Well, I have a little bit about Father's Day again at the end, but I, I couldn't miss the opportunity to show that. That was awesome. Well, welcome to The Greatest Story. Uh, I've entitled this series The Greatest Story because all great stories... All great stories have a seemingly helpless, hopeless situation that is somehow redeemed beyond our wildest imaginations. And I couldn't think of a better way to describe the story of the Bible because that's what it's all about. That is the story of the Bible. So just a little review, two weeks ago, talked about why the Bible is trustworthy. Why should we believe what the Bible says? Why should we follow that? So we spent time on that. Last week, we covered Genesis 1 through 11, which I believe is really the prologue to the story. Uh, three big events happen in the first 11 chapters that are separated by genealogies. Chapters 1 through 4, the creation of mankind, and then the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. In chapter 6 through 9, there is Noah and then the destruction of the world. And then in chapter 11, confusion of the languages and the scattering of the people. And I think this gives us a starting point. It gives us a grid through which we see the whole Bible. You see, there are three big things were established in the first 11 chapters. One is that Satan, sin, and judgment for sin are real. The th second thing that we see is that man without God always submits to sin. That is the helpless dilemma that we are in. And the third thing that we see is that God is absolutely necessary for there to be rescue from sin and darkness. So in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, we get this established, and this becomes a framework through which we see the entire rest of the Bible. And it's setting the stage for what God is going to do. Now, I think all of Scripture can be summarized as God working and God speaking. Those are two things that we see all through Scripture. And an example of this is Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, where it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways. My ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And his thoughts are his words, and his ways are his works. And we see this all through the Bible. Now, last week I talked about different ways that you can do a study of the entire Bible, and there's lots of different ways to do it. And the way that I'm approaching it was something that I was taught when I was in Bible college a long time ago um, about how God has tied together the Word of God, and there's two principles. One is unity, and the other is progress. 
And so one of the things that we're going to focus on going all the way through here is going to be the unity of Scripture and the unity of what God is doing and the progress where God is moving toward what's described in Numbers as the whole earth being filled with the glory of God. That's where we're going. That's the end of the story. That's what's going to happen in the very end. So everything we're doing now is moving in that direction, and there is a unity to the Word of God, and there is progress continually through the Word of God. God is alive, and everything living grows, so when God is at work, there is progress. Now, we're going to deal with Genesis chapter 12 today, if you want to turn to that. And we see here in chapter 12 a couple of patterns that I think we're going to see repeated other times in Scripture. Uh, the first pattern is this, is everything begins with a seed. Everything begins with a seed. God starts with a seed in Genesis chapter 12. And, and we see this all through the Bible where there is this, this farming illustration time and time again. And one basic principle in farming is that it always starts with the seed. Always starts with the seed. And whether it's a mighty oak or a full-grown adult, it started as a simple seed. We're going to see that today in Genesis 12. The second pattern we're going to see in the Bible is this. God consistently tells us what he is going to do before he does it. God consistently tells us what he's going to do before he does it. We're going to see this in all kinds of prophecies in the Bible that we then see fulfilled, and then we're going to see some prophecies in the Bible that are yet to be fulfilled. Now, we tend to think that there's one big break in scriptures, and that's between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I think there are actually two breaks in scripture, and I don't think either one of them are the break between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I think we have a huge break between Genesis 11 and Genesis 12. I think we see in these first 11 chapters, these roughly, I think it was 2,000 years that are covered there, where there's all this that's going on, and setting the stage, giving us a grid, but at the end of it, there hasn't been any real progress made. Things are still in a mess. When he scatters the people and the scatters the languages there, there's not any allusion there to people really seeking God. And then we get to chapter 12. Now, some of you may say, well, I don't, that, that diminishes all the things that happened in the first 11 chapters. I don't want to diminish that. I think that's very important. But as I look at Scripture, I don't see God referring to himself as the God of Adam and Enoch and Noah. But I do see him referring to himself time and time again as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So today we meet the character Abraham. And this is where the first big act of God occurs. We're going to see three. You've got a drawing in there that shows act one. We're going to have three big acts. This is a huge one. Genesis chapter 12, beginning verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides now and forever. May he bless the reading of it. A little bit of background. This is happening about 2100 B.C. Abram, who's later going to have his name changed to Abraham. I just call him Abraham all the way through here. Uh, Abram leaves Ur. Ur was a city, we believe, of about a quarter of a million people. And it was a city that was very advanced for the time in science and arts and had a high standard of living. And so we just kind of skim over these words that Abraham picked up all of his stuff, his family, and took off and moved. And this was a big deal. This is a big deal. We get, we get over to Hebrews chapter 11, the roll call of the faithful. What does it say in verse 8 of Hebrews 11? By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. Didn't know where he was going. Didn't know what God was doing with him. He obeyed, not knowing what the end result would be. Now, why did God choose Abraham? Well, it doesn't say anything initially here. You know, it doesn't, at the beginning, it doesn't describe all that. But if we track his life uh, from chapter 12 through chapter 25, we see glimmers of his heart. We see glimmers of his character that reveals to us, I think, why God chose Abraham. I want to focus today on this, this seed thought and the idea of these seeds that God was planting right here at the very beginning and what God said he was going to do. He made five promises to Abraham there in chapter 12. Number one, he says, I will make you a great nation. The second thing is he said, I will bless you and make your name great. I will make you to be a blessing. That's the kind of an outward focus. He's going to bless other people. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, which is the protection of God. And the fifth thing is, I will bless all the peoples on the earth through you. There is a, a global scope to God's blessing of this one man, Abraham. Can you imagine? Can, can, can you imagine standing there, you're standing there and you're hearing, and God is saying this to you. Can you even get your mind around that that God's saying I'm going to bless you and make you great and from you I'm going to build an entire nation and from you it's not going to stop there all the peoples of the world are going to be blessed now let me tell you I just have to tell you that that's happened Abraham prospered, and he is a key figure. His name is great. He is a key figure in Christianity. And just as a side note, he's a key figure in Judaism and Islam as well. His name is well known. His name is great. 
Israel became a mighty nation. And we're going to see the peak of that under Solomon. And to this very day, to this very day, all the people, all the people in the world are blessed through his descendant, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the way to God from the brokenness that started all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Again, out of one man, and one man's obedience when God called him to go, not knowing where he was going. From this one man, again, all the earth will be filled with the glory of God one day where people love God and love one another. So let me, I see here in, this, uh, in the reading, if you did the long reading, you got this, um, a, the progressive nature of how God works. He tells him in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, he says, I'm going to make a nation out of you. If you look down at verse 7, he says, I'm going to give you a land. That's one of the things that's necessary if you're going to have a nation. You've got to have a land, okay? Yeah, it's kind of hard to have a nation without a land, okay? Genesis 13 and 14, verses 14 through 17, he says, as far as you can see, and then he tells him that your people are going to be like the dust of the earth. So now he's going to say, I'm giving you a land, and I'm going to give you people. You can't even count all of them. One man, he's telling this. Chapter 15, verses 18 through 19. Let me read that. To your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. And then he lists all the lands of the, all these different people that he's going to give me. So now we see the progressive nation. I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to give you a land. There's going to be a lot of people. And this is going to be the land. God is progressively revealing himself through Scripture. And again, God is telling us what he's going to do before he does it. Now, he spoke to Abraham in Genesis 12. He appeared to him. If you get over to chapter 18, and I don't have time to cover all this, but he appeared to Abraham and he ate with him. He spoke with Abraham as to a friend. But this is very important. There's, don't, don't miss this. Did you notice what he said, though? Going back to chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. He said, Abraham, you have to do this. Abraham, you're going to do this. Abraham, you're going to do... No, 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 no. What did he say? What God says here over and over, he says, I will. This is what I'm going to do. I will do this. God is going to do it. Now, now... We're going to get into the tension between what God does and how God uses human beings. But over and over, God says, I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. Don't miss that. Because you know what that is? When God says, I will, you know what that is? That's grace. That's grace. That's unmerited favor. That's undeserved kindness. And we like to we like to make the Old Testament into a book of law and the New Testament a book of grace and try to, you know, make these nice parameters about that. Let me tell you, it's grace all the way through the Bible. All the way through the Bible. It is the grace of God to us. It's never merit. It's never earning. It's always grace. So don't miss that. And when you start reading about the laws and all the kind of stuff that they were to do, don't get lost in that. It's grace. 
In fact, let me illustrate this. When we, when we get away from this, we, we mess up. In fact, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, messed up. Do you remember that? He said, you know, they were like, God says, I'm going to make you great, and I'm going to give you, you have descendants like the dust of the earth. And they're like, they're waiting for a baby. And there's no baby. And the clock is ticking. I mean, the biological clock has, he started at 75. I mean, come on now. The clock is way past ticking. So you remember what they did? They said, well, you know, you know Sarah says, well, look, you know, maybe we gotta, we got we to we gotta figure this out. We got to figure this out. We got to do it. I've got this handmaiden, Hagar, have relations with her and the child there. Maybe that'll be, and you know how that turned out. It didn't turn out well at all. That was, that was a train wreck. You see, that's when we're trying to do God's work in our strength, when we're trying to do it. You see, God said, I will. And he rejected that. Now, so, if you don't take away anything from today, take away this. It's grace all through the Bible. It's always grace. Time and again. Now, I want to add this. Now, the grace of God and what God does does not somehow negate that God has chosen to involve human beings in his plan and our, be, our obedience matters. I think when God said to Abraham, I want you to move, I think he had to obey. I, I don't think that was like optional equipment or something, you know. You know, um, it, was, it was one of those things he had to do to get this going. And there's a time that you obey, but then there are times when God says, I'm going to do it, and our, our response to that is that last song we were singing, Waiting Here for You. There is a time for us to do what we know to do, and then there is a time that we wait on God, and we trust God, and we believe Him. Now, when we get to the New Testament, we get some more clarity, and, and, and God unwraps this whole idea of grace in a growing dimension. That's a progressive nature of Scripture. We see that. But understand, Abraham was a child of grace, and he was saved through faith alone. In fact, the Bible tells us this. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6 says this. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it him as righteousness. Now, again, the unity of Scripture the progressive nature of Scripture, all of it's tied together. So hundreds of years later, what did Paul write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans, chapter 4? It says this, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It's the grace of God. He was saved by faith alone. But back to these promises in chapter 12. You say, hear me, Abraham's not going to build a great nation. God's going to build a great nation. God's going to do it, and everyone's going to know that it was God. In fact, we see that all through his life. Like I said, he called him, he was 75 years old, and they had, he was 86 when they had that little hiccup with uh, Hagar, and that whole didn't work out well. Finally, at 99, God comes to him and says, about this time next year, you know, little baby boy, you know, he's coming. And finally, at 100 years old, he becomes a dad. Whoo, that's scary, isn't it? 
Hey, I just, just uh, I got to make an application about that. Because some of us feel like we're 100 years old. Maybe we're not 100 years old, but sometimes we feel like it. And we think, you know, God's probably through with us. And, I, I, you know, I don't care if you're in the last, if you're in the fourth quarter or the second half of your life, or maybe you feel like it's the two-minute drill. You got two minutes left. God's still working. God still uses people. I can't help but think about Caleb, who was, you know, 85 years old, and he comes and, and he says to Joshua, I want that mountain. You remember that story? 85 years old. And he took that mountain. So God uses us wherever we are. Just again, the, looking at the progress through Scripture, there's seven times here that God speaks to Abraham. Genesis 12, the, the five promises that we just had. In verse 7, there's the promise of a land. In 13, 14, the land and the people. He's expanding it. In 15, there's again the, the children like the, the stars in the sky, and he tells them how, what the boundaries of the land are going to be. Chapter 17, he reaffirms his covenant. In 18, he meets with him and foretells the, the miracle baby Isaac. And then in chapter 22, after his obedience with Isaac, he confirms the nation blessing. Again, God tells us what he's going to do, and there's a progression to his revealing of his plan. All this we can put under the uh, nomenclature of the promise, uh, or some people refer to it as the covenant. The fact of the matter is this, whatever you call it, our God is a promise-making, promise-keeping God, and he is the initiator it is grace. He initiates. It is God who works. It's God who says, I will do this time and time again. With the tension that we're going to see all through this study of that God uses human beings and that we have a part to play. And so our obedience really matters. But it never gets there. It never gets there and it never matters unless there's a sovereign God who is at work apart from us. So I couldn't help as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the old hymn that I heard in church when I was a kid. Do you remember that one? Trust and obey. Trust and obey. We have a sovereign, mighty God that we put our trust in and then we obey what we know we are to do. Sometimes it's no more complicated than that. <laughs> Not that that's easy. Can you imagine Abraham receiving this wonderful promise and then he's 75 years old and 24 years later before he gets this prophecy that Isaac's going to be born next year. Can you imagine that waiting? And he's probably sitting there and saying, you know, God, I, I'm, you know, I know I heard you you say you were going to do something, but I'm, I'm still waiting. And it doesn't look like we're getting anywhere fast. In fact, we're going to see that next week as we cover the rest of the book of Genesis, by the way, if you want to read ahead. We're, we're going to go fast sometimes and slow sometimes. Next week's fast. Uh, uh, we're, going to see, we're going to see Abraham here, and he had, you know, so your, your seed, you know, it's going to be like the, the dust on the earth, and he gives him one. And then Isaac has two, and God says, I'm only going to work through one of them. So understand, sometimes what looks like is going nowhere to us is the perfect timetable for God.
And I don't know about you, but sometimes I look at my life and I think, man, I, things seem to go so slow sometimes. And it, you know, it just seems like there's not much, not as much happening as I would like to see happening in my life and in the church and in the world and for God. And there is a sovereign God who calls us to trust Him and then to obey. And as we obey, His timetable is always perfect. So, read the rest of Genesis for next week. Lots of material. And um, we'll start unwrapping this, um, you know, they talk about nation building and government and politics sometimes. We're going to talk about somebody who really did build a nation. And we're going to see that story unwrapped. It is Father's Day. And uh, perhaps some of you have already seen the uh, video from the, uh, the baseball coach that's been going around, the Sam Houston coach. It was so good. Um, it's not just about fathering. It's about being a coach. But there's a lot of application for us as dads. And so I'd like for us to watch that now. I should have set that up. He was the coach of the team that just lost in the uh, Super Regionals to go to the World Series. And this is his conversation after that. Wow, what a story about building men, not just winning baseball games. And so, dads, it's about building boys and girls who become men and women. It's about their character. It's about building into their lives, um, being a transactional dad is what it's about. So I want to pray for our men. If all the fathers would stand, all the fathers stand. We're all counting, we're all counting on you. So now if the rest of you would stand and adopt a father and lay hands on a father that means something to you or adopt one for today, because we're going to pray for the dads who are here today that they would be the kind of men, the kind of fathers. I look around at some of you, I see that you're not quite fathers yet, but you're almost a father. You're on the way. All right, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I lift these men up to you today. May they live a life with you. Lord, may you permeate every area of their life, their work life, their home life, their personal life, their hobbies, the way they spend their time, the way they spend their money. May they take seriously the job of passing on their faith to their children. May they train their children, may they model before their children. May they love their wives and their children well. And Lord, may they be encouraged today from the model of Abraham, one man who obeyed you, just obeyed you, and it made all the difference. So, again, I ask your blessings on all these men. In Jesus' name, amen. As always, if you have questions about your next step in your journey, please see me. If you'd hug five fathers before you leave.